Well, Kurt totally stole my opening line, which is, it's good to be back home. <laughs> totally stole my thunder, so I'll have to come up with something else. It is really good to be with you again, Seven Mile Road. Uh, for those of you that didn't know, our family got to go uh, and basically spend the last month in India, which was such a wonderful and undeserved gift for us. And I could talk to you probably for an hour or two about how kind God was to us in our whole trip. It was this wonderful time of thanksgiving and rest and um, things to be thankful for. We got to celebrate 10 years of marriage there. We got to celebrate 10 years since I was called into pastoral ministry. Uh, the kids got to see their great grandmothers on both sides. And so Shainu has a 92-year-old grandmother that we saw. I have a 95-year-old grandmother that we saw. Uh, a wonderful godly woman. One of the joys of the trip for me was my grandmother has written and composed a hymn of her own about her longing to be with Jesus, to go home and be with Christ. And we got to record that, and it was wonderfully uh, moving and good for us. On top of that, we got to see Jim and Lena, our missionaries that we sent from here in Bombay. And I could talk to you for a few hours about how deeply impactful that was for me and the good work that our missionaries are doing there. In fact, next week at our members' meeting, uh, I want to share some of that with you. And in fact, Jim will be here. And so if you're a member, I really want to encourage you to come. I think that will be a fruitful time. Uh, and, and then also, I got to worship God in another country. On our way back, we also visited Dubai because Shainu had some family there. And so to be in these different places and worshiping God there, I was just reminded of a verse that we've read together here in Colossians. In the first chapter of Colossians, Paul, when he's greeting the church, says, I thank God because the gospel is going all over the earth and bearing fruit and growing. And it was wonderful to worship God in a completely different context. It was just a reminder that Jesus is not like this local deity of Philadelphia or this tribal God of the West, but that he really is King of kings and Lord of lords over all the earth and really is gathering a people for himself from all tribes and every tongue in every corner of the earth. As I said, I could probably talk to you for an hour or two. Uh, overall, I'd say the overwhelming feeling for us was just gratitude. Gratitude to God that we had this time. Gratitude to be able to go and spend this time with family, to spend this time in unhurried ways with Jesus. Gratitude for this church's leaders, even the thought of that the godly men and women that God has placed here. I, I can honestly say I didn't think about the church's well-being for a second because of the people that God has put here. Uh, gratitude for the men who labored in preaching over all the summer while we were away. Just overwhelmingly grateful to God for so many different things. And at the same time, eager to be back with you and eager to do one of the things that God has given me a great joy to do, which is to consider God's word together with you. So that's what we're going to do. Today we are jumping back into the letter to the Colossians. And if you remember, we had done that and we took a break over the summer. And so we want to jump back to where we left off in Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 to 23. Right? Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 to 23. Now I want to just sort of jog your memory because it's been a number of weeks since we've been in Colossians. If you remember, Colossians was written by a man named Paul. If you don't know Paul, Paul was a man who hated Jesus, hated the church, hated Christianity, but was radically converted by Jesus, and so he spent the rest of his life preaching Jesus and building up Christianity and planting new churches. And, and part of his work of encouraging and building up churches was writing letters, and one of them being to a church in a city called Colossae. 
The church at Colossae, if you remember, was started by a man named Epaphras, who was a disciple likely of Paul's. And at one point, Epaphras goes to visit Paul while he's in prison and sort of give him an update on how his grandchildren in the faith are doing. And if you remember, he had glowing good things to say about this young six-year-old like us church plant at Colossae, about their faith in God and their love for one another and their hope in heaven and, and things that Paul could gush over. And at the same time, if you remember, Epaphras said, but there is this one thing, this one sort of threat, this one problem that's beginning to emerge in the church, and that is that there are some folks who are trying to convince the Colossians that Jesus is good, but he's not enough. If you remember, that's sort of the thrust of the problem here. Jesus is good. He's a good start. The gospel is the ABCs. It's the ground level. It's elementary. But if you really want to mature, you need to add to Jesus this religious thing or that spiritual experience. It's Jesus plus something, right? If you want to be varsity-level Christianity, you need to add something to this basic understanding you have of Jesus. And if you remember, Paul's aim and his burden and his central thrust throughout the whole letter is to try and communicate to the Colossians and to us at Seven Mile Road of the supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus Christ. That Jesus is supreme, Jesus is sufficient, and Colossae and Seven Mile Road, if you have Jesus, you have everything you need. You don't need something else. You don't need something more. You're not incomplete. You're not lacking something. But rather, Jesus plus nothing equals everything you need. That's what Paul has been laboring to say. And in fact, that's what he was saying in chapter 2 as well, of how we died with Christ and we've been forgiven of our sins and God has defeated our enemy and we've been uh, forgiven of our trespasses and we're full in Christ. And then he picks up, in light of all that, in Colossians 2, verses 16 to 23. Let me read it to you once more so it's fresh in your ears. Therefore, as in in light of everything I've said about the supremacy, sufficiency of Jesus and your fullness in him, therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism or worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These indeed have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Okay, let's pause for a moment and ask God to help us understand the words we just read and apply them to our lives. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you so much for your word, and we pray now as a people that you would help our hearts to sit humbly under your word, to know that you have authority over us, you love to speak to us, and so open our ears to hear everything you have for us. We pray that you would speak to specific situations and circumstances. We pray that you would open our eyes to see things we are otherwise blind to, open our ears to hear things we are otherwise deaf to, 
open our hearts to believe and understand and apply things that we are otherwise dead and numb to. And we pray that in all of this, you might point us to Jesus because he is what we need. And if we have him, we have everything we need. We pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen. I was with Sibby a few weeks ago at a Starbucks procrastinating from doing the work I should have been doing for a few minutes and naturally we ended up watching videos on YouTube, which is what you do when you procrastinate. And so he showed me this very dumb video, but that's what all the viral videos are. They're, they're really dumb and they're pointless, but they really suck you in. And so this one was of this baby bear. I mean, this, by the way, this illustration is totally pointless, but I'm just going to give it to you anyway. Uh, it's this, this baby bear that's being chased by a mountain lion, right? And it's some animal show, and they've done the music just right and captured the scenes right, just right so that you're totally engrossed. I showed it to my kids. They were having a panic attack watching this thing, right? Because it's this baby bear, and all of a sudden, this mountain lion sees it from afar and starts chasing. And so now this bear is running as fast as it can, and it's run out of real estate, and it finds like this broken tree over a a bunch of water and it jumps onto that tree. This thing won't stop. It keeps chasing, keeps swiping, keeps running after it till it too climbs up the branch. The branch breaks. This thing falls into the water. Now it's drifting with the sea. Still this mountain lion is after it, chasing it, pursuing it, swiping at it, slashing at it till finally it washes up on shore. It's got nowhere left to run. This thing is closing in and all of a sudden it lets out this roar. And the next thing you see is this mountain lion sort of shrinking back and running away. And then the, pan, the camera sort of pans wide and you see just behind the baby bear was this enormous mama bear. This big black mama bear that had let out this enormous roar and that's what made the mountain lion run away, right? Totally pointless. Here's why I'm telling you that. When I think of this passage, that's the first thing that came to mind because the tone of this passage is as if there's a bunch of baby Christians at Colossae that are constantly being pestered and bothered by these spiritual bullies. They won't let them up. They won't let them go. They're chasing them. They're swiping at them. They're trying whatever they can to get at them. And it's as if behind the words of the Apostle Paul, God lets out a roar that says, stop messing with my kids. Stop bothering my children. And, and in this passage, what you have is the Apostle Paul defending the liberty of these baby Christians, defending them from these spiritual bullies, right? What these bullies are in Colossae are people that are really big on religion and really big on spirituality and really big on morality. They know how to act in church. They know all the ceremonies. They know which direction to face when you pray. They know how to act and behave. They know everything there is to know about religion. And as big as they are on spirituality, they're real light on Jesus. And truth be told, if you think about it, you and I, especially if you grew up in the church, you and I know lots of people like that. You and I know lots of people who are experts on all things spirituality, all things religion, who could tell you every ceremony and every tradition and every detail of everything you need to know, but are real light and don't know Jesus. The scarier thing could be you and I could be those people. I mean, you could be banking on the fact that you're a Christian just because you come here on Sundays because you know all the external stuff. And Paul is saying those are who the bullies were in Colossae. And in this passage, these bullies are trying to swipe at and get at the Colossians. And particularly, what they want to do is want to try and communicate, here's what you need if you're going to be sort of varsity Christianity. Here's what you need if you're going to connect with God. They say three things. 
in verse 16 and 17, what you need is to keep the rituals and the ceremonies. So essentially what you need is ritualism. Because after all, connecting with God is about what you do. Then in verses 18 to 19, what you need is mysticism. It's sort of uh, uh, defined as your, your experience with God, how you feel. You have to be super spiritual because after all, connecting with God is what you feel and experience. And then in verses 20 to 23, what you need is essentially legalism or asceticism. It's keeping strict rules because after all, connecting with God is not just about what you do. It's about also what you don't do, what you avoid. So here's what you need. You need ritualism and you need mysticism and you need asceticism or legalism. And throughout all this passage, what Paul is going to roar behind the Colossians is what you need is Jesus. What you need, baby Christian, is Jesus. And if you have Jesus, you have everything you need. What you need, mature Christian, is Jesus. And if you have Jesus, you have everything you need. Let's listen to what he says first. Verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. So pause there for a second. What's happening is that these spiritual bullies are coming to the Colossians and they're pestering the Colossians. They're swiping at the Colossians. They're bothering the Colossians about what they drink and what they eat and what festivals they keep and what traditions they honor and what religious ceremonies they observe. Right? Every church has tradition. Well, the church at Colossae was being told, you need to pull back from the Old Testament and practice Christianity the way that the Old Testament practiced its faith. So you need to observe these certain food laws. There were certain rules about what foods made you clean and what foods made you unclean. Well, you've got to pay strict attention to that. And then it wasn't just a strict Jewish diet, but also a strict Jewish calendar. Not only that, there were certain days, they said, that were more important than other days. Certain days that were holy. Certain festivals you had to observe. Certain Sabbaths you had to keep. And apparently the Colossian Christians were oblivious to all these traditions and these rules and these customs and these obligations. Instead, they were you know, eating bacon-wrapped shrimp and drinking beer on Saturdays, watching the Eagles play, rather than all these laws, and the spiritual bullies are beside themselves. How on earth could you imagine that you're a Christian if that's what you're doing? And in fact, it's not just that they were a little upset. You'll notice in the text, therefore let no one pass judgment. What these bullies are doing is they're basically climbing into God's throne, putting on his robe, grabbing a gavel, and hammering down judgment against these Christians about how good they are or not, who's in and who's not. Now, hear this. Is there anything wrong with tradition? Is there anything wrong with rituals or ceremonies? Is there anything wrong with setting apart certain days to especially focus on God? I want you to hear Colossians would say to you, absolutely not. Many of those things are helpful. Many of those things are wise. In fact, it would be good and mature for us to have many of those things in our practice. Uh, every church has traditions. I want you to know that. Even the churches that pride themselves on not being traditional are very traditional about not being traditional. Right? They're very adamant in their tradition of having no traditions. Every church has traditions. And traditions and rituals and ceremonies can be wonderfully helpful. But tradition can lead to traditionalism, where suddenly that becomes the point. 
where suddenly your eyes and everybody's eyes who are looking at you begins to see this tradition over and above the thing to which the tradition points, right? The heart of these bullies is that they begin to communicate, not just you have some traditions that may be helpful, but rather if you don't keep these rituals, observe these ceremonies, do these rites and these practices the way that we do, then you can't connect with God. Because after all, connecting with God is about what you do. But if you would, listen to the Apostle Paul stand behind the baby Christians and roar as he says, no, stop bothering my children. What you need is Jesus. Did you hear him say in verse, 20, verse 16 and 17, don't let anyone, don't you dare let anyone, Christian, Christian at Seven Mile Road, don't you let anyone judge you, treat you as second-class Christian because you don't observe certain traditions or rites or rituals. Don't you do that because, verse 17, what does he say? Because these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Why are you not to let anyone push you around with this stuff, judge you about this stuff? Because these these traditions, these rituals, these ceremonies, all these things are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. He's saying, look, if you focus on that stuff, you're focusing on the shadow rather than the substance that the shadow emanates from. That's the point. Uh, for example, I, I think I've said this before to you. Imagine a little girl standing in a supermarket. A little girl with her mom, just a little toddler, going up and down the aisles. And imagine her eye gets caught by something on one of the aisles. She lets go of mom's hand and she begins to drift towards that thing. Before she knows it, she looks left and right. Mom is nowhere to be found. Can you imagine a little girl lost in a big supermarket? You can almost feel the panic in her heart. Right? She, she doesn't know if she should run this way or run that way. She's scared. And just as she's about to bawl, not knowing where to go, imagine at the very edge and end of the aisle, she sees a shadow on the floor. A shadow of what she knows looks exactly like her mom. Now in that moment when she sees that shadow, can you imagine what begins to happen in her heart? Fear gives way to hope. Panic gives way to joy. Suddenly her heart is thrilled because mom is just there. Now, wouldn't it be the oddest thing in the world if she ran to the end of the aisle and fell on the floor and tried to embrace that shadow? Right? It, it, it wouldn't make sense because what? The shadow's great, but mom is better. The only point of the shadow was to let you know just around the corner, mom is going to come. And the hope of the shadow is just beyond the shadow is the substance to which the shadow pointed. And Paul's saying, when you get caught up, Christian, in traditionalism and ceremonies and rituals and rites, and you bank all your spirituality in that, you are falling on the floor and embracing a shadow when the substance is Jesus Christ. And Colossae, you have Jesus, so you lack nothing. You have the substance to which the shadow was pointing you all along. So don't let these bullies push you around about rites and rituals and, and ceremonies and the rest. They are but a shadow of the things to come. Paul says, what do you think the food laws were about? They were shadows. You didn't eat certain foods because that made you unclean so that you could be set apart and distinct from all the peoples of the earth. That was just getting you ready for the fact that one day God's Messiah would come. 
And he would say, no longer is it what goes in that makes you unclean, but what comes out of your heart that makes you unclean. All foods are clean. And rather, what makes you distinct now is your connection to me. And all of that was just a shadow, the substance being Christ. Or the festivals. You, you take any of the festivals. You take Passover. You want to celebrate Passover? Go right ahead. It's a wonderful festival. What's the point? The point is that one day God was walking through Egypt and he was going to bring judgment against all sinners. God's people were sinners. The only hope they had was that a lamb was slayed, its blood was applied on the doorpost so that God in his wrath and his judgment might pass over God's people. Now that's a wonderful festival. What, what is it though? It's a shadow of the fact that you and I were sinners. And that God should visit us in judgment and wrath. But rather because Jesus Christ, who the Bible calls the Lamb of God, sinless and perfect, applied His blood over our hearts, we can be passed over God's judgment and wrath. The shadow's great. The substance is better. What's the Sabbath? The Sabbath is the good news that when God created the world for six days, He worked. On the seventh, He rested. But the New Testament comes and says there's a deeper meaning to the Sabbath. It's that now the, not just creation, but the new creation work of God through Jesus Christ is done. That on the cross, he finished the work. He shouted, it is finished. And now you can rest in the finished work of Jesus. Not just once a week, you can enter into that rest for all eternity. You don't have to strive anymore. Jesus Christ finished the work for you. The shadows are great. The substance is better. And Paul is saying, listen, what you need is not the shadows, but the substance. So don't be the kind of Christian that celebrates a few important days a year. Don't be, brothers and sisters, the kind of Christian that checks in on Christmas, because that's a really high holy day. And then checks in again on Easter, because that's a really high holy day. Or imagine that something magical and mystical happens if you come and take communion. Or if you practice all the right ceremonies and do all the right rituals, you've sort of sealed a good fate. Paul's saying, you are banking on shadows and you're missing the point. And Sevma wrote, hear me, if we become a people that focus on the shadows, then people will see that and miss Jesus. And that's the hardest thing. People will see that's what Christianity is about keeping that tradition, doing that thing that way. And I can tell you, even at Seven Mile Road, some of the, the hardest struggles for people to come to a new church like Seven Mile Road is for folks who come from church backgrounds. If you have no church background, you come to Seven Mile Road, you meet the substance, you meet Jesus, and you go, this is wonderful. That's how you sing, that's how you pray, that's how you do communion, that's how you do baptism, I'm in for all of it. But if you come with a lot of church background, sometimes this can be a really difficult place because what, what do you say? That's not how we used to sing. That's, that's not how we used to take communion. That's not how we practiced baptism. That's not how we did that thing. And the whole thing becomes difficult. And Paul's saying the traditions are helpful and wonderful and meaningful. But don't let it replace the substance to which the traditions point. Just this week, I, I heard of in church history, in the olden times, many, many, many years ago, in the Russian Orthodox Church, there was this great controversy that broke out. And the controversy was that for many years, they were making the sign of the cross with two fingers. So they'd make the sign of the cross with two fingers, representing the humanity and the divinity of Jesus. 
But then they had a whole study launched about that, and so they came up with, well, we think it'd be better to make the cross with three fingers, representing the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that difference broke out a huge feud. I kid you not, a huge feud on whether two fingers or three fingers was the appropriate way to make the sign of the cross. In fact, the people who stuck with the two fingers were called the old believers. And there was literally persecution and killing among the Christians about whether the cross should be made with two fingers or three fingers. You get it? The shadows are great. My grandmother, who I told you about, was a Catholic woman. And so she told me about the cross. It was meaningful. It was meaningful for so many years of my life. It was meaningful to her. still is. The shadows could be great. The substance is better. And what you and I are to be about is Jesus Christ. And what we're pointing people to is Jesus Christ. Paul says, don't you let anyone judge you about observing certain foods or festivals or, or, or all those things. They are shadows. But the substance belongs to Christ. Second, Verse 18 and 19. Let no one disqualify you, he says, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. So here's what the bullies are coming now and swiping at the Colossians with. They're saying not only what you need is ritualism, because connecting with God is about what you do, but what you need is mysticism, because connecting with God is about being super spiritual. It's about what you experience and how you feel. Sort of defining mysticism as your spiritual identity being defined as your experiences and how you feel. So what they're saying is, not only are the bullies coming and saying, you've got to keep these rites and rituals, but now they're coming and they're taking great pride in the fact that they are so much more elite than the baby Christians at Colossae. They're so much more Green Beret. They're so much more varsity level than these simple Christians who have nothing but Jesus. And, and they are that way because of all the super spiritual experiences they've had. Now listen to this. Say, they say, for example, in this text, they insist on the worship of angels. Now, Paul doesn't tell us much more about what that is. The text doesn't really unpack for us what that is. And so scholars and commentators have spilled lots of ink in trying to guess what that is. Some have said maybe what it is is a bunch of folks who are not just satisfied with worshiping here, but are trying to connect with the worship of heaven, the worship of angels. Right? So it's, it's not just you sing with other fellow sinners on a Sunday in a small room like this. No, you, you somehow find a way to tap into the worship of heaven where the angels are worshiping and you found a way to access that. Or it's this idea that you know, God is very distant, transcendent from us sinful people. And so you need all these intermediaries to go through to get to God. And Jesus is good. He's one of those intermediaries. But he's not the only one. And so maybe if you're super spiritual, an angel appears in a vision and comes and guides you in your path to God. Whatever exactly it is, you get the idea that what they're hinting at is we have had some kind of super spiritual, mystical experience with God that makes us here. And you and just Jesus puts you here. Or some kind of super elite spiritual experience. And you see this in what goes on next. He says, not only that, but they go on in detail about visions. Right? So they've had these incredible visions. Now hear me. 
Has God spoken to his people in dreams and visions? Absolutely. Has God appeared in very uncommon experiences for people? Absolutely. Are there times even in your Christian journey in life where you'll experience the presence of God and sense God in heightened ways that are different than, than you always do? Absolutely. But Paul's saying that's not the norm. And, and moreover, hear this. Paul himself was a man who had this incredible vision, who was given this revelation. He, he says, I was almost caught up into the heavens. But immediately after that, the text tells us, Paul says, but then what God did is he put a thorn in my flesh, as in some kind of painful thing in my life, so as that I would not grow proud, but stay humble. That this incredible experience wasn't going to puff me up, but God purposely put a thorn in my flesh so that I would stay humble. And yet what you see here is the exact opposite. What, what do the Colossian bullies do? The text tells us in verse 8, they get puffed up because of these spiritual experiences they claim they had. Rather than it driving them to humility, they become puffed up with pride. And these spiritual bullies begin to insist, unless you've had the spiritual, charismatic, whatever it might be, spectacular experiences that I've had, then you're sort of here while I'm here. Right? And, and that's, that's sort of the feel. And you can feel that in churches even today. You don't have that spiritual gift. You haven't had that spiritual experience. You, you've never heard God speak audibly to you. Like, like I can tell you, I'm the pastor, one of the pastors of your church. I have never heard the voice of God audibly. I've never had a vision or a dream that told me what to do or where to go. I have no charismatic gifts. I've had no miracles or healings or anything quite spectacular. And the Colossian bullies would come and say, keep at it, young lad. One day you'll get there. And Paul roars behind them and says, no. What you need is Jesus. And if you have Jesus, you have everything you need. You're not second tier. You're not second class. God chooses to give what he wants to give to who he wants to give it. And it's wonderful. But Paul is saying, don't let anyone disqualify you. And the word there is, don't let anyone kick you out of the game or throw you out of this race. In the first picture, they sort of put on the gavel as judges. Now, they put on the clothes of an umpire and they're ejecting you out of the game. Don't let anyone disqualify you because you haven't had these experiences they say that they had. And Paul says, and here's why, verse 18. Because what these people are is they are puffed up without reason by their sensuous mind, not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. Paul's saying, here's what these people are. They're not humble gospel people whose aim in life is to point you always to Jesus. They are rather proud religious people who are finding a way to point you to themselves who are puffed up because what they're saying is not run to Jesus, but here, have the experience I have had. And in doing that, I want you to hear, they are not connected to the head. Right? They, they're having all these spiritual so-called experiences, but they've been disconnected from Jesus himself, from the head. And for all the spirituality they claim to have, they're disconnected from Jesus the head and from his body, the church. And Paul says, instead... 
there's just this real simple spiritual growth that comes from being connected to Jesus and being a part of his body, the church. Hear that. There's a growth that comes from God that just comes from being connected to Jesus and connected to his body, the church. Don't despise or ignore that simple, everyday, sanctifying growth of the Spirit in your life for these amazing growth spurts that are really nothing. And, and I want you to hear, this is not distant or, or related to Colossae and not to us. Many of us, you and I included, sort of judge our spiritual life by sort of the experiences that give us goosebumps. You know what I'm saying? Often in life, we can define our entire spiritual experience by the things that give us goosebumps. Uh, you, you can judge a, a worship set based on how many goosebumps it gave you, how it made you feel. We, we do that all the time. We can sing truths of the glory of God and yet imagine that we missed out on something because it didn't give us goosebumps. And Paul's saying, don't define your spiritual life by just how it makes you feel. I need to hear this. I needed to hear this over the summer. I, I told you we went away for a month. I knew what a gift this month was. Not, not everyone gets to go away for a month. I know it's a gift, an undeserved gift. And so I was really interested, before we even left, of using this month well. I sent out a bunch of letters to people to pray that we would use this month really well. And while I was in India, I can tell you, every day I'm sort of waiting for it to happen. What? I'm not really sure. But it's going to happen, right? I got 30 days almost away. And, and something spectacular has to happen. So I'd wake up real early and I spent a bunch of time praying. And, and every day in the normal means of reading the Bible and spending time with family and talking, I'm waiting for it. And I tell you, it took about three weeks for me to realize, I don't think it is coming. But, Ajay, don't despise the normal growth that comes from God, that comes from being connected to the head Jesus Christ and his body, the church. Don't despise that God loves to make you grow sometimes through some spectacular experience, but sometimes he likes to make you grow through two kids that are whining and how you're going to deal with them. And sometimes he likes to make you grow through these difficult circumstances and how you're going to deal with them. And when you do that, the watching world doesn't see some goosebump experience, but they see Jesus, the substance to which all of this is about anyway. And they see, okay, sometimes God heals amazingly, but when he doesn't, how does this person walk through this fallen world just like we all walk through? And they begin to see there's something different about being connected to the head. And the growth that comes from God, that comes from being with Jesus and with his body. They say, what you need is mysticism, Paul says. What you need is Jesus Christ. Third and finally, verses 20 to 23. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Such as, don't handle, do not taste, do not touch. These referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. They have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. The bullies are at it again and they're swiping at the Colossians and now they're saying not just ritualism and not just mysticism, what you need is asceticism or legalism. 
And what that simply means is connecting with God is all about what you do and rather, even more importantly, what you don't do. As in the great sacrifices you make. The more you give up for God, the happier He is with you. The less you enjoy the pleasures of this world, the more you have points with God. The more you sacrifice, the more pleased God is with you. And so they had all these rules. Don't touch don't handle, don't taste. And they define their spirituality by all the things they didn't do. Right? And, and we do the same thing. When I was growing up, if you played cards, that was sort of unspiritual. Right? So I don't even go near that. I don't touch that. I don't handle that. I don't go near that. And you can come up with any number of things where you go, no, 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 I, I don't even go near that. And your entire spiritual definition is by the things you don't do. All these rules of don't touch, don't taste, don't handle. And your relationship with God is based on what you sacrifice for him. The rules that you keep. One of my favorite illustrations about how you can keep rules and completely miss the point, miss Jesus, is from this little thing in John chapter 18. In John's gospel, he's telling the story of how Jesus is going to get arrested. And in John chapter 18, there's the Pharisees. And the Pharisees are the rule keepers of all rule keepers. Dotted every I, crossed every T. If there was a don't touch, don't taste, don't handle, it was the Pharisees. They kept every rule there was to keep. And yet, in John chapter 18, they unjustly arrest Jesus at night. Not in the day where people could see, but in the middle of the night where no one could see. They hold up this kangaroo court. They literally lie and make false accusations against Jesus. They punch Jesus, who is God in the flesh, in the face. They spit on him, and they're ready to kill God. Do you get that? The super spiritual, dot every I, cross every T, are ready to kill God. Now, they don't have the power to do it themselves, so they need Pilate, the Roman governor, to pull the trigger. And so in chapter 18, it says they dragged Jesus to his house, and then there's just this tiny little verse. It's this great detail. It says, but they wouldn't go into Pilate's house lest they become defiled and unable to celebrate the Passover. Isn't that the best? They have literally punched God in the face and are ready to murder God. But no, 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 we don't go into Gentile homes because we have to keep the Passover tomorrow. Paul's saying that's what these bullies are like. They keep every rule there is to keep. They don't touch, they don't taste, they don't handle. But they've missed the point. Connecting with God is not about what you do or don't do. Now hear me again. As we said with traditions, are they helpful? Yes. So likewise, I want to say here, is abstaining from things right and good? Absolutely. Will a mature Christian at points in their life purposely deny themselves things in their love for Christ? Absolutely. Does it take wisdom and discernment? Absolutely. But what this doesn't mean is that because you abstain from something, you make a law for everyone and measure their spirituality by that law. Every discipline we want to make is voluntary to ourselves. But we don't impose those on another as we measure their spirituality. What you need is strict rules, and you can hear the Apostle Paul roaring behind them. No, what you need is Jesus. What you need is Jesus. And he goes on to say, don't you know, Colossians, you died with Christ. 
When Jesus Christ died, you died with him. Your old ways and your old way of connecting to God based on what you do, all of that died. And when he rose, you rose with him. So don't live in this world anymore like you're subject to these rules. You, you don't live anymore trying to connect to God by what you do. You now live connecting to God based on what Jesus has done for you. Right? This is not about your work. This is about his work on the cross. And he says, listen, all this stuff has a really good appearance of wisdom, meaning it looks really pious and it'll be really impressive to everyone who looks at you, but it has no power to stop the indulgence of the flesh. It has no power to reduce your confidence in yourself and your desire because it doesn't change the heart. It just works on behavior. And Paul says, what you need is Jesus Christ. It's not going to be, Christian, the sacrifices you make for Jesus, but rather it's you resting in the sacrifices Jesus made for you. It's not going to be, Christian, that you get up with God because of what you give up for him, but rather in resting in what he gave up for you. That, Christian, is what you need, and that's what Jesus offers. So, Seven Mile Road, hear me. For us today, you will be tempted at points to define your Christian life based on rituals, what you keep and what you don't. And hear Paul say, the shadows are great, the substance is better. You will be tempted at points to define your spiritual life by mysticism, what experiences you have and how it makes you feel. And hear Paul say, what you need is to be connected to the head and grow with the growth that comes from God through his body. And you'll be tempted at times to define your spiritual life by asceticism or legalism, what you do or don't do. And Paul will say, Jesus Christ died for you and you died with Christ. What matters first is not what you sacrifice for him, but what he has sacrificed for you. And so Paul says what he's been saying the whole letter long. What you need is Jesus. And if you have Jesus, you have everything you need. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you have ordained a very simple means of growth. It's us being connected to Jesus, the head, a part of his body, the church. And it's even through means like your word open and preached, heard and believed, obeyed and applied, that we grow. And so we pray through the ordinary means of, of preaching that you would cause growth for us. We pray that we would encounter and experience Christ in all the ways that you have set out for us and that we would be satisfied in having Jesus because Jesus is everything that we need. We pray, O oh Lord, that you yourself would apply this word in all the ways that it needs to be applied and help us. And we pray for every person here that even today you would move us from the shadows to the substance, which is Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.